selling is a dirty word. It has those connotations of, of being persuaded or manipulated to, to make a choice that isn't in your best interests. Um, now, you know, a lot of better salespeople will understand that that's not what sales is about. Uh, that, you know, sales is, can and does, should have uh, what, what's often referred to as a fiduciary responsibility, much like a lawyer or an accountant, where they put your well-being ahead of their profit margin. You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship of growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to quickly let you know about my Growth Accelerator implementation program. Now, this is ideal for owners or directors of established B2B professional service firms who want to generate more revenue in less time while lowering marketing costs. It's especially ideal for those who are sick and tired of the hype and false promises who instead like the idea of working with a partner that puts skin in the game with you and guarantees results. Now, if that is you, then the Growth Accelerator implementation program could be the perfect solution to setting you on the path to sustainable growth. Because when you partner with me for 90 days, I'll help you implement a simple and scalable business development system that is guaranteed to generate at least 500,000 of new revenue for your business in the next 12 months. And if you like the sound of this, make sure you visit thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash accelerator and watch the short video that explains how it all works. But before you go and do that, let's get to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. Now, you probably don't need me to tell you, life really is a series of negotiation because really you negotiate all day, every day from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. And I think that some of the toughest negotiators, they tend to be the ones that you don't work with. And I'm talking from personal experience here because I'm referring to my uh, my two and my five year old daughters. Right. So. Negotiation is something that we all need to both accept and we also need to get better at. And if you're like most people, when we think about negotiation, we'll often picture talking to the other side, right? Whether that's pitching a client, negotiating a contract, or in my case, arguing how much chocolate pudding is enough over dinner time. But negotiations are essentially people trying to persuade other people to their point of view. Well. That's true, but it's only half the story. And it's why today I've invited on a guest who is an expert in negotiation. And it's going to show you why persuading others, it's just part of what it takes to be successful when it comes to negotiation. Now, he's started numerous small business and today is a coach, facilitator and trainer who's also a regular guest lecturer at multiple universities in Ireland on topics such as cognitive behavioral coaching, entrepreneurship and innovation. He coaches executives and business owners across uh, an array of industries, including things like software, law, aviation, telecoms and corporate finance, just to name a few of those. Now, over the past few years, he's been giving his clients a psychological edge in negotiation, and he has a program out called Goliath uh, Negotiation Method. So as this is something that is basically something that we have to do every single day, and it is vital for not just the success in business, but success in life and having a, I guess, a happy household, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, Alistair McBride. Alistair, how are you doing? Great, thanks. Great to have uh, great to have you to be on the show. Thanks very much, Adam. You're very kind to invite me. Ah, it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I think um, from a purely selfish point of view, I think as I've, I've maybe touched there in uh, in the introduction, I like to get better at negotiation as much for the business side of things, but you know, from my own personal life, because I can imagine that when it comes to negotiation, the laws that govern how to negotiate in a, a business environment 
cognitively, psychologically, it applies to everyday life. Is that is is that a fair assu- as, assumption? Yeah, that, that, I mean, you you you, uh, you gave me a great in- intro there, where you made some really interesting points, and one is that you know a lot of people think negotiation, it, as you said, it it can be both ends of that spectrum from, you know, six figure contract deals across the table where there's four people on one side and five people on the other and you know a ton of files there and everybody's whispering amongst themselves in big boardroom all the way down to as you said trying to get your kids to eat their veggies or or not eat the chocolate pudding or whatever that might be um i've actually had some great lessons from kids i don't have kids yet myself but uh, friends and, and relatives with kiddies you know and they're they're amazingly uncompromising kids. Just to, to talk about that, and, and it, there's a lesson there for us that as adults we're almost too quick to compromise. You know, everyone's oh, you know, you know, uh, what, you know the phrase is well, what's marriage? Marriage is compromises. Well, a lot of marriages end, so maybe compromise isn't the most ideal thing for a marriage. And we get the idea of marriage, for example, being compromise, but it's more so. Uh, to use the phrase, it's better when you think of it as a collaboration. And this is one of the things I talk about quite early on in that, you know, how much you get out of something versus how much the other side get from your point of view. And compromise is when you're both settling, when you're both uh, taking a reduction in what you want. So, I mean, for the the state of the diagram, it's basically both of you are only getting 50% of what you want. Whereas collaboration is when you start with that thought, with the question, how do we both get as close to 100% of what we want at the same time? And it just changes the dynamic completely, rather than saying, oh, we both have to compromise on these things. And then both of you, which, you know, I've done relationship counseling as a foundational thing. I mean, I'm not a great great editor, but as I said, I did a foundational. And it's amazing how many principles from uh, marriage relations, romantic relations, follow through into business, whether it's business partnership relationships, all the way to uh, business owner or, or client relationships. So and it's that same just, idea just, of just, asking just, that question, moving it out of both of us taking a hit on this. Mm. How do we both win as much as possible? So something I want to sort of um, just just jump in there because I think what I heard you say is. When it comes to negotiation, what most people may think of, and, and I'll be honest, myself included, you think, okay, you've got sort of the, the two outcomes and you're thinking this is this is 100% and you are looking to get the, the highest amount of, say, 100% as possible. Or if you're completely negotiating and you're going to meet in the middle and it's totally win-win, that's a 50% split each way, that kind of thing. But what you're saying is really you're starting with 200%. So 100% that's an interesting each. Way yeah, yeah, why not? I mean... You know, when you, because as you said, if you're thinking a 50-50 thing, both of you are at a loss. Mm. Whereas when you, sometimes you can arrange things where both sides' needs are met. And so both sides are getting 100%. So as you said, you're really Mm. adding up in the equation to 200%, which is a nice way to think of it. But you notice this with kids, as you say, to go back to the example a lot of people might have right there in the kitchen with them, you know, which is that, you know, you say to a three or four year old, uh, oh no, no, you can't do that. He said, but you said, you said we could do that. So I want this, you know, I, they know their, the little bit of rights that you might've given them and they fight for them. And there's none of this sort of, no. I remember a good friend of mine, um, he, he does these things where he throws the, the wee lad up in the air, you know, and the kid loves this, of course. Uh, this is out in the garden, they're not likely to hit the ceiling. But he finds it exhausting because the kid is getting older and the kid is getting bigger. And he's like, you promised me 12 of those, Dad. And he's like, no, you're trying to kill me. And he just wouldn't stop. And he's like, no, 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 how's about six? It's like, no, 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 I wanted 12. You said 12 and I'm holding you to it. And it's literally like, that was your word. I'm holding you to it. And in the end, he said, okay, look, why don't I give you six before lunch and six after lunch? He's like, the child thought about this. Okay, that's acceptable. (laughs) Okay, done. And this is the point is that, I don't know, as an adult, you kind of feel that as adults, we kind of compromise maybe that bit too quickly, which is what I'm saying. Uh, when when there's something we feel that that's a little softer, when it's important to us, we often will feel aggrieved if we if we cave too quickly, which is which isn't ideal. Or, as you say, 
you, you fight maybe too hard for it. And it's, it's realizing that sort of balance, because as you pointed out in, in the intro there, really any time you're trying to convince someone of your perspective uh, as a way to go or even as an option to be considered, it could be said that you're negotiating. Now, technically, you know, it, it's more actually say you're influencing your, or you're trying to persuade. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I put that under the wider umbrella of negotiation. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 an awful lot in there in terms of yeah, uh, the thing that I'm learning from from my kids is the value of persistence, first of all. Mm. And it's not so much that they then sort of go, yes, they'll maybe list certain things, and my God, it's amazing what they can then remember. And you go, actually, I did say that. I forgot that completely. It, and yeah, and well, I mean, not to go into developmental psychology too much, but you know, it gets a lot worse when they're teenagers because oh, God, they're brilliant. constantly in this black and white <laughs> thinking, saying, "You said you're this, but your behavior is like yeah. this." You know, you you say you're this, it's like oh, you know, very frustrating. But you know, and we don't want to, look. I don't want. I don't want to bang on about the 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 analogy of, of of the kids too much because one of the things that is important is adding, moving from what they call position. I mean, this is classic negotiation. Uh, which, you know, I, I have an understanding of. I tend to give, as I said, more the psychological side. We can come to that in a minute. But the classic side is is moving from position to interest-based. So moving from, I mean, the classic example is, and it's a, it's a bit, you know, silly, but run with me for a minute, where, you know, there's a pizza to be shared between two kids, right? Now, the classic way is a position thing where you say, well, what's fair? One should cut the pizza and the other gets to choose which half they want so that the one that's choosing will keep the one that's cutting honest right so that feels like that's set fairly balanced right and it can be but it's not taking interest into account so the cla that's a classic example where you go well if you still just ask the question well what is it about the pizza that you like or that you want maybe one kid says oh i'm i'm famished i'm starving you know i was out playing all day doing my thing kicking the football i'm i just want i just want stodge i want all the food i can get and the other said well i'm not that hungry i had a big lunch uh but i'd love the pepperoni so then all of a sudden they're really doing the deal themselves i said well if you give me more stodge more the bread and cheese i'll give you my pepperoni right done so it's not 50-50, but it's a better fit deal because they took into it and they actually asked, well, what is it about it that you want? So there's often this, again, assumption that, oh, everyone wants the exact same amount, whereas that, that's not necessarily the case. Often there's an interest there where you'll take a lot less of something for a lot more perceived value to you. And that's the point. Yeah. And you, you wouldn't understand that without doing what I, again, what I find um, my, my, certainly my eldest my two-year-old is only just um, learning to talk, but she she does this very, very well. It's asking questions. Yeah. They are very, very good at asking questions. And my two-year-old is very good at the moment. The why question. Why? 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 And that can go on in an infinite, infinite loop. However, there is something in that because there's that curiosity factor. That's that seeking to understand factor that maybe we don't as adults do enough of. We don't explore the reasons behind somebody's position, for example, exactly. to be really able to understand, okay, well, why are they adopting this position? And is there something behind it where we can actually turn this round to a, 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 an advantage for all of us? Because maybe we're not fighting for the same pizza, we're just fighting over the pepperoni. Well, it's a, it's a great point. Uh, I mean, kids don't have that framework of a reference for understanding the world and how things fit together and all the rest of it, which is why they go through those why, 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 thousand why phases. But, you, you know, as you say, the flip side is is we as adults do have that framework, but it, it's a trap. It's a shortcut. It's helpful. But if we fall into this, and this is something I drill into my clients, it, it, is that it's the difference between assumption and hypothesis. When you have an assumption, which is what we're talking about, is the trap where you have this false sense of certainty or worse, you don't even realize you have this false sense of certainty. That's where it's a real trap. Whereas the hypothesis is, you know, it's like a scientist going, well, I have this theory that I want to test and there's some early evidence for it. But you keep you hold it there. And as the information comes in, you're updating it and you're readjusting the hypothesis to be more and more accurate with what it is that's motivating the other side how how you can 
as I said, facilitate the other the needs of the other side. But it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with this idea of of compromise uh, versus collaboration. And it's a classic thing. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It's, it, there are time and a place for everything. So compromise is, is haggling. Like if you're at a, a market when you're on holiday and you're haggling with some dude over, you know, a little trinket or a hat or something, you know, you don't need to really go into the needs that both of you have to, you know, you don't need to have this huge long conversation. So it, 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 it's perfect uh, situational fit to say, you say 10, I say two, we'll probably meet at five or six or somewhere, you know. But when there is more at stake and there's more to gain, and particularly when it's an ongoing relationship, it's extremely worthwhile to start, as you say, asking those little questions. Oh, where are you coming from? Oh, would you mind just telling me? Oh, that's interesting. And, and just opening it up to, to explore what it is about the elements that, that both sides actually are interested in. Mm. Yeah, there's... Because unless you actually do explore some of that, and maybe a lot of the times, yes, it's it's that compromise thing and, and you are just simply haggling over price. I mean, there's the uh, the famous line in, uh, uh, or no, maybe not famous, maybe I've watched too many movies or used to, um, in Pirates of the Caribbean, where Johnny Depp's character, he, he sort of, uh, it's all, he says something along the lines, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, so we we essentially have an agreement, we're just haggling now on price. And it's it's that we you are both at the place where you kind of want to move forward, and you're just sort of that compromise piece. And maybe that is a stage that every negotiation gets to. Maybe it's not, and you'll you'll have more insight on that than I will. But I guess it's it's understanding. I this is just from my perspective, and, and not being any sort of expert on it. But it's it's kind of like going into everything, every kind of negotiation, every kind of conversation, even a conversation like this, I approach every conversation I have with a guest with total curiosity. I don't have any pre thought out questions or anything like that. It's it's really about, hmm, okay, tell me more there, you know, what does that mean? What do you think about blah, 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 all those kind of things. It's just curiosity to really understand where the other person's expertise lies. And, and that's exactly. just on the podcast. And I guess uh, you can apply that for the same, yeah. yeah, a negotiation, a sales conversation. And do you find there's a difference between negotiation and, and selling? And do people see or feel that there's a difference? And what's your, what's your perspective on the difference between the two? Uh, there's a few. So, for example, Apple don't really negotiate. They certainly don't negotiate with customers. You go in, you buy it. There's a sales facilitator there. The marketing with Apple does and the quality of the product does the selling for Apple. They're not even selling, you know, it's more marketing. Selling then is when, you know, the equivalent are going to, you know, the, the classic idea of selling, isn't it, is, is the, the car salesman, you know, and, and I don't believe it is necessarily just that sleazy thing of being essentially, selling has a dirty word, it has those connotations of, of being persuaded or manipulated to, to make a choice that isn't in your best interests. Um, now, you know, a lot of better salespeople will understand that that's not what sales is about, uh, that, you know, sales is, can and does, should have uh, what, what's often referred to as a fiduciary responsibility, much like a lawyer or an accountant, where they put your, uh, your, your well-being ahead of their profit margin ahead of their economic interests. And a lot of better salespeople do that. And I think sales has evolved in a lot of ways over the last, certainly the last 20 years, but also all the more so uh, over the last 40 years to, to that idea of really getting much like we're talking about into what the customer's actual needs are and interest and what the fears and the blockers and all this sort of stuff. I mean, I was an art dealer for, for many years. So, you know, I was in, technically I was in sales, but the reason it suited me so well was because, and I say this to a lot of people who are in sales, is that I didn't do most of the selling, the artist did. So someone would see a painting in particular, or maybe a photograph or sculpture, it was mostly paintings, and they'd have an immediate connection with it. So I couldn't upsell the, the buyer on, like you can with a car or a TV, you know, you can go, well, this this laptop does what that laptop does, but it's slightly cheaper and the warranty is longer and the screen's better. And the, the, oh, OK, I'll move to this one. You can't do that with art. You know, people have this unique connection with it. So the artist has done most of the selling, most of, if you like, the marketing. And so that part of the sales was just 
you know, improving that connection and then removing perceived blockers and, and you know, and uh, I guess that's that's what sales that. is. That's what negotiation is. And maybe maybe it's a word that's interchangeable in terms of maybe with sales, what you're helping somebody do is not so much negotiate with you as a salesperson. You're helping them negotiate with themselves. Very good point. Whereas negotiation tends to be, there needs to be a value flow of both sides. Uh, there's one thing, and I don't go into jargon much in in, my, in the course, but uh, you know I do use the, some of the core fundamental concepts that people need to be aware of because they are very helpful. And one of them is called the ZOPA or the zone of proximal agreement. Others say the zone of possible agreement. But it's basically, you know, if if I say, well, I'm not going to pay more than 20 and you said well i'm not going to sell for less than 15 our zone is 15 to 20 happy days and we can haggle or do whatever there but we have a zone a price overlap if you like which is all very well and that's the way most deals go but it does raise the concept and the question then that if if you say oh well al i'm not i'm not going to pay more than four and i say yeah well i'm not going to pay for less than six uh, sell for less than six there's no overlap. There's a gap of two per unit or whatever we might be talking about. So by standard thinking, there's no deal there. But that's not necessarily the case, because then we bring in uh, what we call non-cash items. Those things which may have a cash value, but it's a very different cash value for both of us, both parties. It's where you're what can you add to sweeten the deal? What can you add for differentiation? So that the other side are going, oh, well, that's interesting. Like we can't literally get that from our other options if we were thinking of going somewhere else. So it's adding that kind of uniqueness to the deal, adding that bit more personality. And, and when you start doing that, that, that's where you add the serious value. And that's where you make uh, large deals far more robust in the sense that when there's upsets and people are dropping the ball accidentally or whatever, that you can get through those. And also they're more robust from third parties trying to muscle in on, on your client, if you want to call them that, on that relationship. Uh, because it would take so much effort to for that other person, to the other potential vendor to, to be in any way scratch to what you're offering. So, But as I said, it starts as you, all of that starts with that idea that it is a back and forth. It's a come together of several parties. Um, uh, and as, you, as we're talking about the classic stuff of, of getting into trying to get inside the head of the other side, what are the pictures in the head of the other side, how they see the situation, how they see uh, their value and what you're bringing to the table and vice versa. But as I said, it is adding those and they're called, you know, intangibles and it is slightly different to non-cash items, but there's a lot of overlap. Um, and it's really, you know, one of the things I get my clients to do. I mean, I literally have it as one of my little freebies on the site. Um, on almcbride.com, which is, which is basically is the first section of my longer cheat sheet or, or preparation negotiation preparation sheet, uh, and it's basically that is to well first of all get clarity on exactly what it is you want and why you would be amazed how many people skip that step that they because again total like we were talking earlier totally assumed of course I know why I want this thing. Be absolutely crystal clear, because when you're crystal clear on the why, you suddenly have a lot more flexibility as to the routes that you need to get there. That could be better than what you have initially in mind or assumed. But after that step, and once you do that in a hypothesis for the other side, what they want and why they want it, which again, you want to update, ask questions to make sure you're accurate on that one. But once you do that, then it's a case of, of, as I said, non-cash items. What else can I bring to the table here? How else can I add value? Uh, that's relatively cost-effective or or, or uh, low-cost, cheap to me, but of high perceived value to the other side. So maybe you have a load of expertise that if you were to bring it in in a third party would cost a small fortune like that, but you're able to just add it to the pot. It's enunciating that value that's key. You know, I mean, one of the simple examples I can give is, you know, a, a new guy who who changed around his farm in the west of Ireland. And he, he moved the farm from when he took it over from his, his dad. He took it from like a quarter million to four million inside two and a half years. Now, I used to work with this guy in the Innovation Academy in Dublin. And it's a great example because 
he looked at where the problems were and how he could change them. So one of the things he did was he, he because they were very high, um, I don't, I'm not sure if they were organic, but they were very high, uh, high quality. So they went direct to restaurant sales in Dublin and Belfast and Edinburgh and Glasgow and London. And they noticed that when they were making these connections, that an awful lot of their suppliers were other Irish suppliers uh, that were relatively near them. So it was like organic chicken, there was uh, organic salmon farm and eggs and all the rest of it. So what did he do? Well, he organized all the transport. So the transport cost, which was a major cost in their overheads, turned into a small profit because they're going together. Now, again, not rocket science, but it was just the attitude that I'm talking about where they realized, oh, how do I add value here? How do I add value? So it cut the cost to the restaurant, so it made them more competitive, but it actually turned, for this guy's example, from a cost that they all had to have to a slight profit margin for himself. So uh, it, it's just, again, trying to, it's the attitude of where can I add value, uh, the low cost to me, high value to the other side, to the other party. And it's, there's, there's, I mean, first of all, it wouldn't surprise me um, to know how many people don't necessarily know what it is that they want out of a deal, because mm. there's so many parallels between what you're talking about with negotiation and whether it's um, a one-on-one -on -one negotiation or maybe it's with a, you know, a negotiation with a team or a board or anything like that. There's so many parallels between that and what you've described and, and successfully marketing a business. You have mm. to really deeply understand your ideal client you have to know what makes them tick and all the rest of it and rather okay. than go down a massive um, rabbit hole about these similarities I, I think i can sum it up with one phrase and it's it is it is far more effective to make a compelling offer than a convincing argument that's beautifully put absolutely absolutely and and it's that same again think of the attitude think of the the resonance about that because this is often when uh, you know, when I, I do some of the marketing uh, work, as you said, the, the psychology, there's, there's a huge similarity, but the resonance of that is completely different because one is here it is. We're both meeting essentially adult to adult respectfully. Here's my offer and people will either find that compelling or they won't. Right. Whereas the other is almost being this pushy or aggressive or, you know, there's a there's an aggression or emotion toward, or you're falling closer and closer in in the opposite, as you said, it, into trying to force people. One of the, one of the great ways to to start persuading people and persuasion or influencing has particularly persuasion has a slightly for some slightly negative uh, undertone or overtone depending. Uh, and it's for those same reasons that that there's something almost underhanded about it or something uh, uh, something something unpleasant. Whereas, as you say, it can be the opposite, particularly when you start from a position of respect and curiosity and use word curiosity. It's a it's a it's an absolutely beautiful word for it, because when you instead of trying to convince people, it's the classic, you know, Covey uh, seven habits, you know, first understand before trying to be understood. And it's like, okay, I know it might sound a bit cliche and people go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not. If you know it, are you doing it is the question. Because so many people aren't. They start going, well, I think blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hold on there, matey. You know, take a second, ask the question. So, okay, and is your need like this? If I'm hearing you right, I'm hearing this. Can you tell me more about that? And really digging in. And people are like, yeah, this person is really trying to understand what I'm about, what, what my issues are that I need solved, where other people fell short in the past or were disappointed or whatever. And you get that full picture just like you would with doing discovery conversations with an ideal client. I mean, this is... This is why, as I said, what I do essentially for my clients is I'm combining several things. I'm combining essentially teaching them the core or key principles of coaching. This is one of the things I used to do in the cognitive behavioral coaching is coaching coaches how to coach. But then mixing it in with the principles of creative problem solving and lean startup and all of those principles. One of the ones we're touching on here is like that, that ability for open discovery conversations to really get as much information as possible. It gives you all that, basically, we want to talk about it as intelligence, essentially, really valuable info, but has them feel, 
understood, that they're appreciated, that you're interested in them, that you're, and you're more insightful. And so that, and by the way, this goes for family members in a way as well. It's like, oh, okay, you want to do that. Instead of getting angry, as they say, just like you were saying earlier, don't get mad, get curious. And that can also be don't get sad, get curious if you're disappointed in people. Instead of just, you know, you, you just swallow down that urge to go, oh, for God's sake, you know, or whatever, <laughs> whatever that aggressive reaction, you know, it makes good parenting as well, doesn't it? Where you sort of go, so tell me, why did you, you know, decide to do that to your sister? Uh, or <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, in this in this new situation, that's certainly, um, yeah, been a question I'm having to ask more and more and more. But I think what I'm what I'm really hearing, what's coming through, is that what your what your expertise in, and I think it shows the the power of it, but also the the depth of understanding. It's you haven't spoken about any kind of like hack or trick or anything. You're talking mm. about principles. And exactly. the beauty of those principles is when you actually understand things that are principle based, they can apply across many different facets of human behavior. So that's why there is the understanding that these principles that you're talking about can apply to many other things, sales, marketing, um, coaching, management, all of those things relationships, parenting, they are principle based. And I think I certainly believe and, and, and I don't know whether you feel the same that the, the challenge is at the moment we are so we're bombarded with things that we are told are the hacks and the, the tactics and you've got to do this and that and here's a, yeah, here's, a, here's the five <laughs> things you need to win any negotiation or, or all those kind of things. Whereas, well, they might get you one over on a, on a couple of people, but unless you actually understand the fundamental principles behind things, you're going to get found out. You know, people are going to start to sense that you are applying a trick or a tactic to someone. And, and, and yeah, I, I just think that understanding the principles behind so much, and that's why I love um, marketing. It's why I find your, su your subject fascinating because it's ultimately about people. It's about human behavior exactly. and understanding how people relate to each other and just applying it in different circumstances. So, We'll come back to the sort of negotiation side of things. I'll ask you for your questions before we finish. But I want to kind of come on because I think it does bring it on nicely to um, the, the, the challenge question. Hey, it's Adam. Now, just a quick one before we dive into today's virtual hot seat, because as the core philosophy behind the show is a rising tide lifts all ships, I'd love to invite you to come and hang out with me, my guests and other business owners and directors of established businesses with a track record of providing good, solid service and a positive reputation in their market inside the B2B Growth Think Tank community, where we all connect, solve problems and help each other grow more profitable businesses. As free to join, so come along, join us at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash think tank group. I look forward to welcoming you, but first, let's get to today's virtual hot seat. What we what, what, what I'm going to do is ask a, a question that's been sent in, but it's it's a question this week that is very easy to go straight and answer tactically. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to see how you sort of would respond to this and we'll um, we'll have a bit of a, um, uh, yeah, a, a, a to and a fro and we'll try and mastermind and, uh, you know, hopefully the person that sent this in will um, will, will get the benefit for it. But the, the question that's come is, where do I find clients now that travel is dicey and things like events, conferences, exhibitions, meetups, networking events, that kind of thing um, are all out of the question and, and, and aren't going on anymore? What do I do? How would I... How would I go about finding clients? It's a great question. And as you said, it's very relevant to an awful lot of people these days. Uh, as you say, when just the physical meeting people or wh whatever format they're used to getting clients maybe has, has paused or, or slowed down. As you said, for me, the, the principle is to step back, zoom out a bit. Um, and it's to first ask, instead of going, how do I get new clients? It's going, well, hold on. Well, that, that's sort of almost another section. The the request I'm hearing behind it is how do I keep how do I keep revenue up? Right? How do I how do I make money essentially? How do I make profit? How do I make revenue? And the, the request is how do I get new clients? So the first question is, well, hold on, what do you have as an asset already with your current client base? 
So that would be where I'd start. I mean, it's the classic Jay Abram thing of, you know, if you want to grow a business, you can get more customers. You can increase the average, you know, value per sale, which is revenue and or profit, depending on how you want to think about it. Or you can increase the regularity. So if your customer, most customers buy only once a year, can you make that once every nine months or once every 10 months and increase sales over time that way? So there's a lot of different thoughts there going on just just in the perception, because as we said, we're jumping to the assumption that we need new clients. This is the uh, and I'm not I don't mean to go off topic, but it is the parallel I find when I, I know a lot of IT people. And when someone's coming asking for I want to improve traffic versus I want to improve conversion. Because, you know, traffic, you're just throwing you're hosing more, more people at the thing, but you're only capturing a certain number, whereas if you have the same number, you capture more. So as I said, the, the, the equivalent there is what do you do? What are you doing currently for your clients? So again, not to get too tactical yet, the, the next thoughts would be, uh, would be, first of all, having discovery conversations with your current clients. What do you do really well? Where do they, what, are they, what are their needs? First of all, what are their needs almost without you? Then what are their needs and how do they experience the relationship with you? And some of that can immediately show new opportunities. The next one, there are more general way of strategic way is a lot of people add either a premium level of their service or, you know, almost the Ryanair version of their service, what's to no frills. And what I, what I mean by that is maybe... I'm just giving an example again with websites and stuff like this. So maybe there's a premium version where you actually do a certain level of coaching of of the business owner's team to manage certain aspects of the website themselves. Or, for example, you flip it the other way and you do like these are the, the maintenance things that you need to make sure you have in place every month, like security and maybe there's a bit of SEOing or whatever. So that there's at least a fee for a small level of activities per month, which you didn't have before. So again, it's kind of the premium and the Ryanair. Is it possible or easy for you to add one or other of those? Is it possible for, you know, a mastermind coaching group, all that kind of thing for, for giving more of your expertise? But all of that starts, as you said, with actually having the curiosity to engage with your current or past clients. And not just, you see this on LinkedIn a lot, there's almost this desperation where they're in going, oh, here's the things that I'm selling, you know, or do you want to buy stuff from me? Rather than, or, or it's kind of this, pleasantness but you're kind of waiting for the pitch which is also uncomfortable well i'm sort of just going look hey how's it going what are your needs on this or i would love to know your thoughts on the work we've done together because i'm always trying to improve and any feedback you give would be hugely appreciated yada yada, yada. and then even just having a short survey or a look could you do you have a 15 minute call that you can have and on that you might you'll in a more genuine, authentic way, overuse word, but you know what I mean, in a way with integrity, that's better. Uh, you, you discover opportunities where you can add genuine value for your client. And that's all from your current client base. Never yeah. mind getting new clients. That's all, that's the next question. Absolutely. And, and and that's what, I mean, I can certainly see and hear the uh, the, the coaching you that's uh, come out with that because what you're what you're searching for, and I find this is a lot with a lot of questions that that are coming in and all the rest of it. It's it's actually searching for the question behind the question, and mm. really understanding what is being asked, and that's part of the curiosity thing. And there wasn't the leading with an assumption with what um, you know in your response there, and and I think it would have been very easy to go into tactics and all oh, right, well you've just got to go onto you know Facebook and throw money at it or go connect with a million people a day on LinkedIn or whatever it may well be. You've actually gone, no, well, what is the what is actually being asked here? It's like, if I need new clients, it's generally because I need revenue. So is new clients, brand new clients, the only way to generate revenue? Exactly. And um, it, it's a brilliant point. And as I'm sure you well know, I mean, it, it's generally easier to reignite a, a former relationship with a client than to, to convince, as you said, or give a compelling argument to a new mm. one. And I think so. that behind all of that as well, and, and what you've just been through and, and some of the, you know, the great ideas and suggestions is ultimately this person is talking and asking a question, how do I get new clients? Because those things are no longer on the table. So things like events, conferences, networking, all that kind of thing, which says to me, 
in the past, a lot of their business, their clients have come as a result of relationships. Mm. What you're talking there is really an extension of those relationships that you've spent so long actually building yeah. through those ones. So why not go back to them? Like, rather than exactly. thinking, I can't go to new things. Well, we are making the assumption here, and maybe it's the wrong thing, but the assumption is that if you're if you're struggling that these things aren't available to you, it would logically suggest, and my hypothesis would be, that that person has spent time doing those things to generate the business they've got. So not just clients and going back to talking to clients, but what about the people that you've met at those previous events? What about the people that you've met through the networking and the conferences and the seminars and all that kind of thing? And the possibility is that like a lot of people, and I've had people on the show that um, you know talk about the failure to follow up. Yeah. You, might have, you might have been missing a little bit, but you can swallow that kind of like, ah, oh, I never did that follow up. And if you can find a lot of the contacts and the people that you met and all the rest of it, if you haven't connected with them on LinkedIn, go and connect and, and all that kind of thing, reignite the relationship or restart a conversation that you may have had with someone from one of those events in whatever way that looks like. I mean, here's a, a novel idea. Yeah. You know, those things that are in our pockets <laughs> that we do nothing on except the thing that they were originally designed for. That is a phone. <laughs> we can pick up the phone and we can talk to people. You can have a chat, yeah. I mean, that's a novel, it, crazy idea. It's a novel, crazy idea. I mean, it, the, the flip side of that is, you know, people are super busy. And I think there's a wariness of that, just like you, you were saying before, before on our call there, that, you know, things are hectic because you're you have the the daddy teacher hat and then, you know, uh, the, the entrepreneur hat and all these hats, you know. Um, so getting a call out of the blue it can't be just to shoot the breeze either you know uh but but it's a very good point that all the same because i just wanted to address that concern that a lot of people would have is that if you like the other thing just as we're paralleling that i, um, I did a seminar there with a guy who's an expert on linkedin and it was very interesting in the sense that he was saying before you're even reaching out to new people consider just looking through your network most people have four or five six hundred people so have you actually had conversations recently with all of them of course you have so just you know search them bring them up and you can just go you know there's an info so if you need to look it up on youtube you can see when in their contact is where you hit contact at the bottom it tells you when you connected and you just go hi bob you know uh, I noticed we connected way back in 2016. Um, apologies, I never fully reached out to you, you know, but I'm doing so now. Hope this finds you well. You know, could you, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your business and your service and your blah, blah, blah. And, and do it in, in you being interested in them, uh, you know, initially and understanding their situation. And then you can move it into a value add or suggest a, a virtual coffee over Zoom. And all of a sudden you're talking to a potential client. And even if you're not, you're doing it in a way that you're positioning yourself to be able to say, look, if you know anyone who needs what my service is, please pass me on to them. And sometimes people, I mean, I have had this where people go, oh, well, I don't need you now, but I know a guy, he's got, you got to talk to this guy, you know, and then suddenly you have potentially a new client. Um, but it feels in a way that's far more um, sort of authentic or with integrity. Yeah, it's, it's having it, a conversation, isn't it? It's having a conversation, starting yeah. from that interest-based position, finding out about people, and and going in with no expectation other than to discover something fun and interesting about people. Absolutely, and, and, and it's, it's what you said. We keep coming back to the word, but it's it's so true. Curiosity, you know, be genuinely curious, and people are oh, this person's interested in what I'm about and how I do stuff. Absolutely, and you you'll find out some very interesting things just by asking simple questions like. Uh, you know, how, how somebody becomes an accidental cat sitter for 10 years. <laughs> I still wonder that one myself. Yeah. <laughs> so for anyone, again, obviously. Again, that was from random conversations. You have yeah. with people, you know. For anyone um, that's uh, obviously listening and have no idea what we're talking about here, one of the questions I ask guests before they come on is, you know, tell me a fun or interesting fact about you, something that you wouldn't know. Al's answer was, um, I was, I'm an accidental cat sitter for 10 years. And I was like, oh, okay, sitter, where, yeah. where does that come from? I, but I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who moved to Berlin 
And so, what, 10, 12 years ago, one of those friends was on a holidays and said, hey, I have cats here. Do you want to mind the cat and have an apartment in Berlin for a month? It's like, okay. <laughs> and then this became pretty much an annual uh, an annual thing. So, um, yeah, feed the cat, free apartment. So, See, who knew day. that, uh, yeah, you could get so much out of uh, our furry... <laughs> Very four-legged female friends. friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I think there's an awful lot in there, and and that's why I love to you know, have these conversations with um with, with with a guest to sort of bounce off because this has gone in directions I wouldn't have thought necessarily, and you know it it really does sort of again it emphasizes I think the points that you've been making throughout this conversation, which is understanding the fundamental principles and the basics behind what is really the motivating factor behind anybody actually wanting to take action on anything. And and that's the same thing. And what you've demonstrated there with the way that you've, you've thought about the answer is you're, you're actually thinking about the question behind the question. You're you're going in a little bit deeper and that's something to always be thinking within any negotiation, with any sales conversation. It's like, okay, I'm getting an objection. Oh, how do I handle this objection? Well, the easiest way to handle an objection is, so tell me more about that. Exactly. And, and but that builds trust as well, Adam, like when somebody we're not used to, we're not used to hearing no in, with comfort. And we know, we're used to when we have to say no, having a neg- having a negative reaction often from the other side. So when you can hear no, and as you say, take it in your stride and be cu- rather than mad or sad, <laughs> but be curious, then the other side when you do this a couple of times the other side are thinking think about it like they're literally going i've said no sometimes quite starkly here and yet there's no sort of frustration there's no perturbed there's no ego there's no kind of i'm wrong to say no there's none of this it's just oh that's interesting okay do you mind if i ask you you're thinking on that or how you came to feel that way or blah 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 Uh, as he said that that just that helps build that trust it helps build that that we can talk around these things and it's not but also from for you as you said when when you hear no that you and it's difficult to get into that habit to lean into the curiosity rather than go oh right okay well never mind instead you can oh okay and i say to my clients like 20 30 percent of the time when you ask and get curious why they're saying no to your suggestion or to your offer or to your even your pitch or whatever 20 or 30 percent of the time there's a misconception there's something that they've taken the wrong way that you've put out whether in your marketing or said directly that they've either misinterpreted or thought it an absolute that when they tell you the problem and the blocker you're able to go oh sorry oh we can certainly just do it this way and oh really is that all this and then suddenly the that blocker which made them say no which if you hadn't asked you it would still be there that can be resolved and suddenly you're back on, you know, now that's, that's only 20, 30% of the time, but the rest of the time, you're at least getting the information. Oh, okay. That's an issue for this person. Okay. That's a blocker for this person. Okay. Maybe that you think another way to do it, but at least you're learning, mm. you know, Absolutely. You're, and you're learning. And there's, um, you know, there's, there's so many other things that, um, you know, I, 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 I found this conversation fascinating and there's so many different directions. I think it could go. Um, what I do want to, do though is before we sort of get to time is Mm. i want to give people the opportunity to know um i guess what it would be like to work with you or or how you help people so what is it what do you generally find is showing up for people in their business before they hire you well it's a number of things so i i have sort of two two types of clients if you like so I have what I call the naturals and the other side are the nice but nervous. And the nice but nervous tend to be uh, what the e-myth the refer to as technician entrepreneurs. They're often business owners. They're small to medium-sized business owners. And a lot of them are doing very well, but a lot of their, their business is what their expertise is. And their negotiations are too important to hand to someone else or a trusted employee. Often they're not there on their own. Sometimes they are. But they know they have this horrible, they don't, nice but nervous people don't tend to enjoy the negotiations. They find them uncomfortable, unpleasant, horrible. They want it over as soon as possible. And, 
just this unpleasantness is is what permeates to the whole thing and because of that they they know almost for a fact that they're leaving money and opportunity on the table sometimes they even feel pushed around and even bullied by the other side if the other side is quite aggressive uh, so that's that's the nice but nervous and they're not all the time but they're often more the business owners uh the other side are, are naturals and they're the people who love the negotiation. They love the challenge of it. They love the game of it. They lo- It's like people who love a, a little wrestle or a tussle. And that's the way they kind of feel about it. They, they, they have fun out of it. And, you know, those guys, yeah, they're very naturally quite gifted at doing deals at, and enjoying it. And they're quite talented at it in many ways. And often it, it's a big part of their work, big part of their job. But where they're lacking is often that they only have one mode of being or sometimes there's a primary and a secondary mode of being. So they might have, say, four big deals on the go. And as I said, 10 percent of the time, 20 percent of the time. They suddenly what normally works doesn't work anymore and they don't know why. And the deal falls flat and they don't know what they did wrong because they do it normally like this and everything's great and they get a great outcome. And suddenly it doesn't work. They don't know why. I help them with that. So that's a big one that I help them with. But with the, the, nice the ultimate nervous... result, if we're talking the ultimate result that both mm-hmm. of those will will experience after working with you, if you had to sum it up in a sentence. Uh, well, I help them be supernatural. I help them be able to choose the mode that they're able to work in, to be highly flexible in how they work, to build that trust with the other side and to be able to add value and even open open up the other side to be able to create unique value between yourself and and your counterpart on the other side so that's really what it's all about now part of that on the way is you know helping the nice but nervous be able to manage their their thoughts and their their emotions at the table so that they're in alliance with them rather than acting against them but once you do that uh, they're far more dexterous, and as I said, it's it's bringing the 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 natural people to be able to actually try new what new modes of being. A lot of them find it very freeing, actually. They oh, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could be like that. That's brilliant, and so that it adds to the fun for them, you know. And uh, but as you said, it's it's about having the ability to see new possibilities and open up the other side to be able to entertain those possibilities and themselves uh improve the value that they're able to create together that's really what it's about and that's why it's the psychological edge you know because whether they have no experience or 20 years and 10,000 hours of deals there's usually from one side or the other there's, there's a new perspective that they can they can uh they can achieve yeah, yeah. i think what i hear is that I, maybe 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 what your what what your gift is is you help people take off the blinkers when it comes to walking into these kind of situations either taking off the blinkers if you're the uh, the natural or the shackles if you're a uh, nice but nervous beautifully put trust a marketing man to put it so well <laughs> but um <laughs> that's job. that's what i've heard throughout this whole thing i think it's it's really about um it's opening doors of opportunity and when you understand that negotiation it's not a zero-sum game it's not something that you compete with people on it's really like how can you get on the same side of the table and actually collaborate to work towards exactly. an end goal where both of you achieve an outcome that you're both getting, you know, wanting to do and, and how close to 100% on each side can actually, you know, get there with. This, this, is, this is a perfect point. And I use that metaphor as well. How do you metaphorically move them over to your side of the table or at least so the atmosphere is far more collaborative? I mean, you have to remember during the Second World War, the British and the Americans were very close allies, yet they had severe disagreements on lots of things. Uh, and that's okay. They still have protected their own interests, but we're also in alliance and a collaboration to a, to 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 an outcome that they both wanted. And that's kind of a, a good analogy that you know you you. It's not like you're being overly trusting. Trust is gained gradually with gestures back and forth over time. So it's not like we're in here teaching the world to sing either. You know, I, I, and, I, and, and I say this to clients that it, my whole approach, yes, it is humane. It is based on integrity and values. 
But it's not about leaving yourself completely exposed either. Yes, there's a strength for vulnerability, but it's 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 almost in a in a in in a values based, but uh, but yeah, but a measured way, so that you're seeing and making sure the other side are responding in kind. Uh, but as I said, but if there is this attack on you that you're able to sit there and just let the thing wash over you and not have the emotional uh, often there's particularly with seasoned negotiators you know that they're either highly aggressive or extremely charming and the charming ones kind of are, are more devious uh, and it's being able to sit there and stand your ground and understand the game of it and not take it personally but be, as you say be able to ask the question beneath the request that if there is an emotional outburst oh, i can't believe it that you can i call it think like a shrink that you're able to sit there be fully present and engaged stand your ground but neither be defensive oh i have to justify or aggressive and that's what builds trust that keeps you solid in yourself but also still dynamic in working with the other side and as i said building that trust they think jesus i really lost the plot with this guy and you know, he's right here. He's not, he's neither attacking nor he, does he feel he needs. It's, it's a totally different feel to the relationship, you know. Mm. Well, that's what it's all about. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, uh, the example around the, uh, the allies and, uh, the, the US and all the rest of it. And, and I purposely didn't go political with this because there's a very obvious um b word that could have been brought up around negotiation <laughs> we're not going to go there because you know this is a family show but i mean that's you know maybe you and i'll have a conversation offline about that but um you know the example of a, of a negotiation and, and how that has been played out in in a very public arena and all the rest of it and and the outcome whatever you think of it it's it's i didn't want to go there but really it's 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 understanding and it comes right back to the beginning. Negotiation is something you will do every day of your life. So why not understand how to do it well and not do it so that you win every time? Because again, it's not about winning. Understand how to do it ethically and alongside somebody else so that no matter what the outcome, even if it doesn't work and you walk away from the deal, both sides feel respected. Exactly, exactly. And that's key is playing the long game as well. Yeah. You know? So best place for people to uh, to check out what you do and find out about your program? Uh, two things. Uh, almcbride.com is my main website. And I have a psychological edge of negotiation little email mini course. And that's simply almcbride.com slash mini course. It'll get you there. And that also includes the uh, negotiation preparation cheat sheet. The other place that I'd suggest is also my podcast, the Dealing with Goliath podcast. You can just punch that into wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes or wherever and up it'll pop. And that is it's in and around negotiation persuasion, but it's also a little bit like we're talking about now. It's it's some of the wider things on, on the edges of that that feed into uh, to that mindset, that attitude that we're talking about mm. in solving business problems is really what it's about. Yeah, so definitely uh, check both of those out. Go and get your uh, go and get your goodies, and the uh, the preparation cheat sheet is um, is really good. So definitely go and check that out, and um, yeah, go and listen to a few episodes of the podcast. And um, I'm, are you open to connections on LinkedIn? If so, I'll put your uh, of course. Yeah, reach out, say hello. Put yeah, your I, um, your link under it on in the show notes, and 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 obviously everywhere that we can uh, you know point people to uh, to get in contact. But um, it's been a genuinely fascinating conversation, and so many ways I think I could have gone, and I yeah didn't go the uh, the B way, but um, maybe we'll <laughs> talk about that afterwards. But um, well done. <laughs> it's been uh, it was hard. There was a couple of times when I was almost sort of you know. You know, just pinching myself it, not it. to say it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Al. And uh, yeah, thank you ever so much for joining me on the show. And um, make sure you go and check out what um, what Al does. Um, well, you're otherwise, very kind of it. been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Cheers, Adam. Take care. See you soon. Cheers. And we're out. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. 
Also to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, the Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you. And if you have enjoyed the show, please make sure you're subscribed. You'll get updated as the new episodes come out. And finally, last favor, please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one. They mean the world for me. I love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well. So if you want to go and do that, I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, have an awesome day and we'll speak soon.